Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. Steve Lawler is our guest. He's the president and the CEO of the North Carolina Healthcare Association. We were going to talk about uh, health care as a career here and the need that we have in North Carolina for always increasing those who are working in this area. But first, I want to talk a little bit about uh, Steve, because you've got such an interesting background. Like you said, you, you, you've managed very small hospitals and large hospitals, uh, but you're a native of Greenville, North Carolina. And uh, so sort of tell us how you got interested in becoming uh, involved in the healthcare area. Well, that, so, yeah, that's a great question. So, um, I mean, one, it was, it was a great place. Greenville was a great place to grow up. And I was blessed to have a mother who was a nurse and, uh, you know, who started her professional career as uh, a labor and delivery nurse and then ended up um, uh, joining the, the, the ECU College of Nursing faculty and uh, had a full career there. I had a father that was an English professor at ECU. So, you know, I grew up in a family where, you know, service was really important. So I've got two brothers and a sister and all, you know, we're either in healthcare or teaching. Um, so, you know, something stuck when we watched our parents go to work every day. So, um, you know, I became interested in healthcare because of, you know, my mother's work as a nurse and both, uh, you know, her time at, at AHEC in Eastern North Carolina, as well as her time at uh, the College of Nursing and was exposed just to some pretty amazing people, um, some of which were involved in, 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 in being founders of the Brody School of Medicine. And it just became something that I, you know, uh, was interested in because it was a way to, uh, to one, help people, as a way to be active in a community. And, um, you know, one of the beautiful things about hospitals and health systems, they're like hundreds of different jobs. Um, so it's, it's like having your own city with lots of different career paths that you can take. Well, we want to talk a little bit about human resources, because as you alluded to, there's not anyone in North Carolina that I know of at the present time not looking to add to their uh, human resource uh, situation in their particular industry. But I suspect hospitals are having exactly the same problem, maybe even magnified. Do we have enough nurses? Do we have enough health care uh, providers, uh, people who are interested in working in the healthcare area? And if not, uh, how do we solve that problem? Yeah. So first, I would say that we, we need more healthcare professionals. So we need we need more nurses and doctors, but we also need, you know, every other uh, skill or craft position within a hospital. Um, you know, we're, you know, we're seeing um, as a result of the pandemic, you know, experienced people that were close to retirement elect to retire. And, you know, the fact is, you know, being a bedside nurse is really hard work. Um, being a housekeeper in a hospital that is full of COVID patients and others is really hard work. Um, so, you know, right now in North Carolina, you know, we're experiencing the greatest workforce shortage ever. And, and we've used uh, temporary agencies and, um, and, and, you know, outside talent to help fill the gap. But, you know, we believe that, you know, we're on a 10-year journey to um, not only um, keep and retain the best nurses by being 
really thoughtful and creative and, and how do we make um, that hospital a great place to work? How do we you know return some joy to taking care of people? Um, we're committed to making hospitals safer. Um, hospitals have a greater incidence of workplace violence of any other industry other than the prison industry. Um, so, you know, we're committed to making improvements there um, by establishing rules for people to follow and asking people to be respectful and making sure that, uh, you know, people are trained to, uh, you know, help de-escalate, um, you know, any kind of issue that we see with family, friends, or, or staff, because hospitals can be high stress locations because, you know, people aren't flocking to hospitals like they're flocking to the mall. We're taking care of them at their most vulnerable and and in and, and, and many cases for families, you know, stressed out times. I mean, we would love to think that everything is as is, is exciting as the birth of a new baby. But in many cases, it's just it's not. So making healthcare safer. Um, and then finally, it's, you know, it's it's, you know, growing your own. Um you know, hospitals are, are great places to, to start a career. We can take a young person coming out of high school, we can pay for their school and get them an associate's degree and they can graduate as an associate uh, degree nurse. And they can make 70, 70 to $80,000 right out of school and they can become a role model for their community. So, um, you know, we believe it's going to take... Um, 10 years to kind of rebuild our, our, our workforce. Um, you know, right now there's close to uh, 270,000 people that hospitals employ, and there's half a million jobs in North Carolina, including those 270 that are somehow tied to healthcare. Um, and, you know, these are consultants, they're people who work in doctor's offices, um, you know, even real estate agents and business um, businesses rely on, on healthcare. So, you know, we're making help, making, working to make hospitals safer, making, you know, healthcare once again, a, you know, a, a destination career and a place where you can be, um, professionally and personally fulfilled. And then we're, you know, we're, we're working to think differently about how we train people. If, if we can all get degrees online, um, then you know surely we can use, work with our boards of nursing and community college systems and others to think differently about where people are trained, um, and then optimize you know our you know hospitals. We have 130 hospitals in North Carolina that can all be clinical training sites for for programs. And then finally, we've got some of the best medical schools in the country that are training some That's of the. Good. Very best physician. Yeah. I was going to ask about that because I think one of the things that uh, people don't realize is the real difference between so-called teaching hospitals, hospitals that are associated with med schools, and a, a regular hospital because there's a significant difference. So why don't you explain that and, and talk about the benefits of both? Sure. Uh, well, they, I mean, they are different. And, you know, even though everyone has the same mission to care for folks, you know, teaching hospitals also have uh, two other missions. One is to uh, to train the next generation of clinical leaders. Um, and then the other is to do, you know, research. And some of that research is, you know, translational, where we're looking for the best way to take care of somebody. We're looking for, um, 
you know, the best way to apply um, a new drug or device that's in clinical trial. And then some of it is just like breakthrough research. I mean, right here in North Carolina, you know, we had people that were developing the, the COVID vaccine. Um, so teaching hospitals have that, 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 you know, um, that three-legged stool mission of clinical care, teaching, and, and research. So the big difference is, is that when, when I was running the hospital in Greenville, I mean, on any day I had, I had 1500 students in the hospital. So the hospital was their, their, their clinical classroom where they would train how to be doctors or nurses or um, radiology techs or pharmacists. Um, and what that does is that requires you to attract the best and smartest folks to be their teachers. You'd like to think that that's the case. Um, and, you know, it, it also um, expands your, your footprint because you need a bigger clinical footprint to accommodate um, those learners. It, it, it also slows you down a bit um, because it takes time to teach and it takes resources to teach. And in many cases, those, you know, that time and those resources, you know, aren't reimbursed. They're just built into, you know, operationally how, how you do things. Um, and again, in North Carolina, we have some of the best teaching hospitals in the country. And that that's an advantage for non-teaching hospitals because, you know, we have some of those medical students and residents that are doing clinical rotations at those small community hospitals. Or that big teaching hospital then becomes uh, a lifeline for a physician that may be in a small community that has a really complicated or patient or a patient that's in crisis, they can pick up the phone and get nationally expert advice from somebody here in North Carolina. And if that patient needs additional help, then you know they're always going to say, "Send us your patient. We'll care for them, and then we'll send them back." Um, with uh, follow-up instructions so that they can um, remain in their community and have a better life. But in North Carolina, we train thousands of physicians a year um, and tens of thousands of, of nurses every year. Um, and when people, you know, need, you know, high-end care, I mean, they're choosing some of our nationally acclaimed uh, programs. One of the things that I'm really proud of in North Carolina is in 2022, LeapFrog, which is a national organization that rates quality and patient safety, and it really started from business and industry demanding better outcomes. Uh, the LeapFrog organization ranked North Carolina number one in in quality and patient safety, and a lot of that work is led by you know our teaching hospitals. That's interesting. Mental health is still a, a huge problem in North Carolina. Talk about that a little bit. Boy, I tell you, if there's, if there's, you know, I mean, there's a few things that we need to take on in next year's legislative session. We and we talked about some of those: Medicaid expansion, the healthcare access and stabilization program, workforce. I would say top five is uh, is doing work to to take a critical look at how we provide care and treatment and support for people, our neighbors, our friends, people in our community that are struggling with a mental health crisis or struggling with um, an addiction problem. And it, you know, it is going to take um, everyone 
you know, from our elected officials to, you know, individuals that are running um, solo practices for social work or, or psychology. It's going to take everyone working together to help us, um, you know, reimagine a new and different system. I mean, today in, in every emergency department in the state, 20% of the people that are sitting in emergency departments are people with behavioral health diagnoses that are waiting for placement, safe placement, um, outside the hospital when they're discharged. And it's tragic to think that we've got, you know, adolescents that, that are, you know, in emergency rooms for weeks at a time because there's no place for them to go. So, I mean, I think this is, you know, one of the top five things that we should be taking on this year. Um, it's complex. Um, I think at the end of the day, it's, you know, designing a system that focuses on whole person care, not thinking that, you know, people with behavioral health issues um, should be put into a different box. And, you know, we need to worry about them. We, you know, we need a whole person approach that has comprehensive support, as well as um, a system and a process so people can move through the system to get what they need when they need it. And, the, you know, sitting in the emergency department for days and weeks at a time, um, we can do better than that. And, and our neighbors and friends in North Carolina deserve better. So I, I would say that's one of the top five things that we need to tackle this year. You know, we've sent uh, a letter two years ago to the governor and uh, Senate and House leadership saying, we're ready to roll up our sleeves. Uh, let's work together to to uh, to rethink and reimagine how our mental health system is um, is programmed and how it's financially supported. And, you know, this is just about taking better care of people. Well, I think, uh, as you said, North Carolina rep, uh, knows and, rep, and uh, recognizes that mental health is probably our biggest, uh, if we have a shortcoming, that's one of our biggest shortcoming areas. And and I'm glad to hear that the hospitals are very concerned about solving this problem. Our guest is Steve Lawler, and we'll be back with the final segment here on Carolina Newsmakers. He's the president of the North Carolina Healthcare Association. We'll do that right after we take time out for these messages. I spend a lot of time in the garage, but even more time in the rain sleet and mud. In 95, I helped tow your moving trailer. In 05, I helped you get out of a ditch. Yeah, I know I'm a bit rusty and sadly in 09, it was sparks from me, your handy chains, dragging behind your truck that accidentally started a wildfire. Sparks from dragging chains can start a wildfire. Spark a change, not a wildfire. Visit SmokeyBear.com. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Only you can prevent wildfires. Here's a fun fact for you. The average chameleon can point their eyes in two different directions. On the other hand, the average human can't. So unless you're a chameleon... There's absolutely no way you can focus on texting and driving at the same time. So don't do it. Unless you're a chameleon. 
Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. Welcome back to the final segment of Carolina Newsmakers. Our guest this week is Steve Lawler. He's the president of the North Carolina Healthcare Association, which represents the 130 hospitals across North Carolina that uh, currently employ some 270,000 healthcare workers. That's a little of the background. Uh, we remind you that this program comes in two forms. A number of our stations carry the full hour broadcast. Others carry a half-hour broadcast. If you happen to be listening to one of the stations that carries the half-hour broadcast, if you'd like to hear the two segments that you missed, and they were very informative in this particular case, you can go online to carolinanewsmakers.com and hear those two segments. Or if you'd like to hear the entire broadcast again or share it with a friend, you can do the same thing, carolinanewsmakers.com. As I said, our guest is Steve Lawler. And uh, Steve, I guess one of the overriding uh, concerns we all have uh, about healthcare in, in North Carolina and across the world and across the state and across the nation is the continuing cost of healthcare. It's a major concern. Everyone's concerned about it. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about what some of the solutions might be to controlling the cost of healthcare and how can we bring down the cost of providing healthcare to our citizens. Sure. Um, so, I mean, I would agree. And I would say that, uh, you know, everyone who works in the healthcare space would say, you know, healthcare is, uh, is, is too expensive. And, um, and, but I would say that there are some really interesting things that are being done in hospitals and health systems and physician practices throughout the state to help focus on uh, reducing the cost of care. And you know, reducing the cost of care and healthcare is 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 not a, as simple as changing the sticker price, uh, much like you know, an a auto dealer would do or or a retailer would do if they were putting something on sale. Um, the real savings to healthcare are the result of 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 the provider community, hospitals and physicians, you know, working with patients and communities to help them be um, healthier. I mean, the fact is, is that 20% of our population are using 80% of the resources. And these are good people, um, but they have chronic disease and their health plan typically does not have a uh, an offering as part of that that connects them with a care manager or a coach or connects them with, uh, um, you know, some kind of value-based uh care platform that helps them become healthier. And we know when when we're when we help somebody that has a chronic condition manage their chronic condition, so somebody with kidney disease or renal disease, um, if we can help them manage that rather than you know them having renal failure and then ending up in the hospital, um, they're going to be healthier and it's going to cost less. If we have somebody who is a diabetic in North Carolina, we've got, you know, high incidence of diabetes. We have high incidence of stroke. If, if we can help people manage that and prevent that, that catastrophic hospitalization later on, that's going to reduce the cost of care. So it's really this partnership, I think, between patients and their providers and their hospital 
looking for ways to invest in, in new and innovative ways to, to reduce the cost of care. You know, we target um, through data and analytics. You know, we look at people who, uh, who are coming to the emergency department frequently and we're trying to intervene with them and help them help figure out why. Um, for patients that don't have access to meds because they're expensive, we're providing free meds. In many communities, um, hospitals and health systems are writing prescriptions for food because we know, we know that food insecurity impacts health. And when somebody is not getting what they need, they, they end up going back to the hospital, which increases the cost of care. I think the other piece that, you know, sometimes we don't talk a lot about is just, um, you know, healthcare literacy. It's helping people understand their health plan. So right now, the, the greatest source of medical debt are people that have insurance. And these are people whose health plans have high deductible plans. Um, and um, when your deductible is seven or $10,000, and that's the plan that you have and you're offered and you don't understand it, um, then you know, many times when you go to the hospital or go to a physician's office and you're getting these bills, um, you know, that contributes to, you know, people's perception of the cost of care because it impacts, you know, their ability to, to pay their bills. So I think, you know, I think, you know, healthcare literacy, especially understanding your health plan, um, you know, super important. But, you know, I, I'm encouraged by the work that's taking place at our hospitals and health systems. If we look at some of the pilot programs that they've done with CMS, for Medicare patients by providing care management and infrastructure support. You know, we've saved the federal government, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars, and we can apply that same kind of learning and approach um, to everyone. And I think it's important that, uh, you know, that, that physicians and hospitals are incented in a way that, you know, there's kind of a shared savings approach where, you know, when when we're able to generate, you know, savings for an employer or a health plan, let's reinvest in physicians and hospitals so they can reinvest in those programs that make people healthier and that drive down the cost of care. We are all concerned about the cost of prescription drugs, and that's a to topic we hear a lot about. What progress is being made in bringing down the cost of prescription drugs? Right. Boy, that's a that's a great question. I wish I wish we had more influence in that space. Um, I mean, for hospitals and health systems, you know, the uh, the increase in expenses and cost over the past year and a half are, are at 30 percent. So and unlike other businesses, you know, hospitals, you know, don't pass on those cost increases to, to patients. But a big, a big portion of that. 30% are just increases in drug costs. So one of the things that hospitals are doing is, you know, they're building uh, through um, best practice and AI, um, they're building formularies that are, um, are based on generic drugs. So, um, you know, within their electronic medical record, you know, if a physician needs to prescribe a drug for a patient and there's a generic drug available, which is going to be a lower cost drug, um, that's what they're going to prescribe um, unless 
because of that patient's condition, they need something that's not, you know, that's that's brand that's not generic. So hospitals are working to to make you know healthcare more affordable in that space by looking to choose, choose gen, generic drugs when when possible. You know, one of the things that's kind of interesting that takes place in hospitals every day is a pharmacist in many cases is making rounds with a doctor to look at what that patient is on to make sure that they're, you know, that their medications are the right medications. And in many cases, what we see are, you know, we can reduce the number of medications that a patient are on just by having that kind of uh, team-based approach to, to care. Um, you know, I do think that, uh, um, you know, we continue to work with our elected officials, especially those in, in Washington, um, you know, to come up with some some guidelines and principles that can be followed to ensure that uh, that you know that prescription drugs are you know are not uh, um, you know putting patients in in a difficult decision where they have to decide whether or not they're going to get this expensive drug or buy food for the family. That's a but that's a tough tough choice to make. So some of it is working with our elected officials in Washington to uh, to you know hold folks accountable. Um, ensure that there's a, you know, the kind of investment in research and development that pharmaceutical companies need to make to, to find new medication to help uh, manage or, or, or cure illness, um, but do it in a way that's responsible so, um, so that individuals and uh, those that are caring for patients, um, you know, have access to those medications at a reasonable price. We see a lot of ads, especially on television, about drugs, and patients see these ads and go in and ask their doctors if they should not be on that medicine. Uh, it would seem to me that this is actually putting the doctor in a bad situation because he feels like, well, gee, you know, the patient's asking for it. Uh, maybe I should prescribe it. Is that a problem? Oh, I would say so. I mean, I think, you know, between... Uh you know, advertisement on TV and going on, you know, the internet and, you know, Googling what's going to make me more beautiful or grow hair in my case. Um, it, you know, it, it is an issue because patients do show up, you know, having searched the internet in regards to what they believe is wrong with them, or they've seen, you know, the latest advertisement on TV where, you know, people with, uh, you know, chronic illness or terrible diseases such as cancer, seem to be doing just well. So it does create um, some friction and tension um, at that point of care. Um, I do think that, you know, the, the, you know, the very best physicians and, and, you know, we're blessed to have the very best physicians in the country are the ones that are taking time to explain, let's, you know, let's develop a, a care plan that works best for you. Um, and it just takes an investment in time. And, uh, and, and again, it, it, it is problematic when people show up, they've already di diagnosed themselves based on their Google search. They've already got the drug that they like based on, you know, the happiest people at the family picnic, and they're asking for it when they show up. It just takes time and it takes, um, well, it takes relationships. And one of the things that just blows me away year over year, you know, the careers and the professionals that are most trusted year over year, in the top five are always nurses and doctors year over year. So um, trust your doctor. I mean, they, they have your best interest at heart. Very quickly, we've got about uh, less than a minute. Uh, 
how does telemedicine fit into perhaps reducing the cost of health care? Yeah, well, I mean, I think uh, several ways. One, for rural communities, tele- telemedicine gives them access to highly skilled, uh, specially trained physicians that they may not have otherwise. So rather than sending that patient from that community, putting them in a car, and you know that's an expense to families, it's gas, it's time away from work, we can deliver state-of-the-art care virtually. Um, the second piece is, I think, generationally, you know, when you think about what people are doing with with this, um, with their cell phone, it it require you know it, it creates access to care in an appropriate way through some app based uh, um, interaction or Zoom like uh, um, platform where people can get basic care for you know basic um, acute illness such as sinus infections or colds or flus. You know people can get di- diagnosed relatively quickly and it's convenient. So uh, I'm excited about what's going to come out of uh, uh, the next several years in that space. Steve, thank you so much for being with us. Steve Lawler, president of the North Carolina Healthcare Association. Uh, We appreciate you being with us. If you'd like to hear a repeat of this broadcast, you can go to carolinaneesmakers.com. Program is produced by Jason Kong, and we'll be back again next week, same time, same station, with another guest. So until next week, have a good week, everybody. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.